Tonight's episode is brought to you by Ozark Adventure and Recreation, Bendetti Optics, and you, our listeners. This guy, I think this guy had a long memory. I think this little snake had a long memory and a grudge. I think he had a chip on his non-shoulder. is up all of you wayward souls and welcome back to the wayward stories podcast wayward stories is the podcast where we share our experiences where we tell stories of adventures in the great outdoors adventures and explorations and self-discovery again it's all about our wanderings and our wonderings like really we try to be all philosophical up in here you know we want to seem a bit more intelligent than we truly are. Um, I was once told if you uh, can't wow them with wisdom, baffle them with, you know, BS. And, you know, you'd be amazed how far that will take you in life. There are a lot of, uh, I mean, I, I, I adjure you, look no further than your own government to, to see how far BS will take you. You baffle a lot of people with BS. But anyway, how have you guys been for the last couple of weeks? It's been a minute since we've talked. I'm excited to be back here in the studio talking to you here tonight. I hope you guys have been well. We're getting into the heat of summer now, man. It's been hot. Good freaking gravy. It's been hot. I lost seven and a half pounds at work the other day. Of water weight, of course, not real weight, but water weight. And I was pounding Gatorade and water all stinking day. And I still lost seven and a half pounds. Y'all be careful. Y'all be careful. If you have to work out there in the heat, be very careful. Heat related illness and death is a very, very real threat. And you'd be amazed how fast it can take you down. Matter of fact, let me tell you a quick story here. And this is one of those things where I, you know, I implore all of you to get involved in, say, search and rescue or some kind of civic duty. Like, I I just am a huge proponent of that. I think it's good for us on an individual level, and it's good for our society as a whole on a greater level. But it also gives you all kinds of great skills. How many times have you guys heard me talk about it? Go get involved in search and rescue. Get you a bunch of that medical training, and you'll be amazed how many times in life it just pops up in the blue, in the middle of nowhere, not necessarily even out in the wilderness. Out there in the wilderness, it'll, you'll get a lot of mileage out of first aid, um, CPR, and all the different kinds of training that you can get, you know, paid for and taken care of by your search and rescue team. Or if you become an EMT or whatever, you'd be amazed at all the stuff and all the mileage you can get out of it out there when you're hiking and things that you might run into or people you may come across. But it also comes in handy in real life and real situations. But I'll tell you a story. And I wanted to tell you guys this weeks and weeks ago when I was still working with Big Purple, when I was still up in St. Louis, Missouri. And I want to tell you this story because it's a really kind of a good object lesson on multiple fronts. Once One, it's a really good um, example of why you should get training for yourself. Even if you don't become a member of a search and rescue team, y'all, y'all can go to the Red Cross and get you some Red Cross first aid, CPR, AED, some of the basic stuff. Um, and you'd be amazed how much of it's just common sense. And it, th- there's a demystification process. It's not as much, it's not as uh, complex as you think it is. It's not being a doctor. It's learning how to render basic first aid that can actually save a life. Um, while we are waiting to get these people transported to where the actual doctors are who can do the more, well, let's say the things that required them to go to school for eight years to do. But there's always a need, an intermediate, well, not really 
intermediate, immediate to intermediate need to start dealing with the situations that are going on at that moment. And I had this very situation happen to me one day when I was finishing up my route in Festus, Missouri, and I went up to Herculaneum to the QT so I could get me an ice cream cone. Because for 99 cents, after a long, hot day driving around in a rolling oven that is known as a FedEx delivery truck, an ice cream cone is a nice way to end the day as you drive your way back into the terminal. So I stop at QT. I top off with gas. I go in, I get my ice cream cone, vanilla soft serve, baby. And it was awesome. And I'm working my way out the door. I'm headed back to the pumps and I hear a scream behind me. And I say a scream. It was more like a yell. It was a guy yell. And I turn around and I look and I see this really, really large teenage boy. Like he's clearly a young guy, but he's a young man and he's a monster. Big old brawly guy, man. He's big old guy. And he's like yelling. He's got his hands on his hips, his head's thrown back at this guy. And I'm like, he's clearly in distress, but there's people around him. I'm not inserting myself in that situation, especially in St. Louis, anywhere around St. Louis. You just stay the heck out of people's business unless it's absolutely necessary. You know what I mean? But he's over there and he's, he's in pain. And then I see the woman with him who is on her cell phone. And I'm like, okay, she's clearly probably calling an ambulance. So I should probably walk over here and see what's going on. And no, 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 that's what happened is he fell down. I went on into my truck and I was like, I'm going to give this a minute and kind of monitor things. And I'll see if I feel like I should go over there and, and poke my nose into this. And then he went to take a step and he just collapsed. So I was like, yep, we're going to go over there. So I walked over and he, they had gotten him back up, sitting on a bench. And what it was is this kid had just gotten out of a football camp. He had been in for six hours. And that was a really, really freaking hot day. And he was seizing up. Okay, like muscularly, not not having seizures. Don't mistake me. Um, but his muscles were he was doing the cramp thing, which we all know how to deal with cramps. Cramps can be not that big a deal. But I'm looking at this kid, and he is way way paler than he should be. He's lost all color in his skin. Okay, he's he's as white as a ghost. He is not sweating anymore, and he is clamming to the touch. His skin is cold, but he's over here just just dying. Okay, all of those are terrible signs. For heat stroke. Okay. Some of those are signs for heat exhaustion. Heat exhaustion is the step just below stroke. But when you're starting to be on the verge of a heat stroke, you are losing control of your body, which he was, and you are no longer sweating, which he was not. So I was like, okay, we need to go inside where there is an air conditioner. We took him inside. I got the manager of the QT to get me some, some sacks and fill him up with ice. And we, we packed up his armpits and his groin and we got him iced down to try to bring his core temperature down. Cause that's what you want to do. If you think that there is a heat stroke happening or even just heat exhaustion, pack up the ice picks, uh, the armpits with ice and pack their groin with ice. That could be a little awkward, but maybe they can help you do that. But we got him packed down with ice and we waited exactly 13 minutes for the ambulance to arrive. Ambulance arrived, got him, loaded him up in the bus and they took him off to go. But I was talking to the ambulance drivers, you know, or not the driver. It was the, um, yeah, it was the driver because the other was handling him and the ambulance driver had kind of fell back and looked at me and goes, yeah, he's like, you did the right things. Like you've, you've, you've given him a good shot here at this, like not going into a full on heat stroke like this. You absolutely made the right call. And I was like, okay, cool. That's awesome. So you guys get training. Even if you don't join a search and rescue team, even if you just go, go to the, to the Red Cross and, and sign up and take some of their first aid training. 
all of these things you can take with you out into the wilderness, but you can also take them out into the world at large. And every once in a while you'll come across something and it will serve somebody else very, very well. Been wanting to tell you guys that story for a while. And finally, I was just like, nah, we're just going to let it pass. It's been a couple of months ago now. But as I just thought about it, friggin' we had a guy go out at work the other day. He didn't get heat exhaustion, but he had to go home. He was sick as a dog. It's that kind of hot. Y'all be careful, hydrate well, and keep your body cool. Keeping your body cool is dang near as important as it is to stay hydrated. I mean, not quite, but it's darn near it. That's that's really, really important. So anyway, what have you guys been up to? I've been up to taking whole lots and lots of classes. Y'all, I just got done with freaking statistics, okay? It's the only math class I had to have for my anthropology track, okay? They're like, no, you got to have statistics. And I'm like, hey, in my mind, I'm like, great, because I hate algebra, okay? I'm terrible at math. I will be the first to tell you I'm terrible at higher math. Give me normal everyday math that humans actually use to get through their life. Yeah, I can do most of it in my head. But as soon as you take the turkey baster and you inject math with alphabet soup, it no longer makes sense to me. My brain literally, literally, like I have any idea what it literally is inside there. My brain is very much a creative side kind of brain. Like I think in terms of words, in in ideas, in concepts, I do not think in terms of like algebra. It just doesn't. I just don't think that way. But I was like, okay, cool. Well, stats, that that's cool. Statistics, you know, hey, I played sports. I know how statistics kind of work on a broad level. That'd be cool. Like maybe that won't be that bad. Um, at least it's not algebra. And then I started statistics. And like the first thing I said was, sweet Jesus, I wish this was algebra. Like I had no idea that statistics was written in two like foreign languages that I don't speak. That being, of course, Greek, everything is carry the stigma over the moo and the pi and all the different things. And also the other one is Satan's tongue, which is, of course, calculus. So, mm, my gosh, but, but y'all, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. You want to talk about winning a dog fight. I passed that class with an 87. Okay. And I still right now before you at this moment have no freaking clue how I did that or what I learned, or in any way, shape, or form, how to to perform any kind of statistical um, observations. No clue whatsoever, but I managed to pass that class. So like, take that to heart, that you don't have to know how to do something to get through something. Sometimes you just have to put your nose to the grindstone and get really, really creative, which is what I did. And to be clear, because that could have sounded bad, I did not cheat in any way, shape, or form. I just used a lot more of my logical reasoning skills I made things happen. That's all I'm saying. Um, let's get on to some, you know, outdoors, outdoorsy stuff. We got some things that I'm really excited to talk about tonight. But first, a quick update on some outdoorsy stuff. We've talked about um, a couple episodes ago. We were into our gear to go episodes. Talked about my water shoe situation. And I think I mentioned that I'd found a pair and I couldn't wait to try them out. Well, quick update. I did find a pair. They are under armor. Micro G Kilchies. That is what they are called, and I am in love. I have now had the opportunity to take them out and use them on the river a couple of times. I've worn them around a couple of times just to see. Y'all, they're amazing. 
it was a great gear purchase. I told y'all how I destroyed my last, you know, my last, but the best pair of water shoes I ever had in an unfortunate smelting accident and um, ended up going through multiple pairs. Didn't like the sandals because the rocks are always up under your feet in between the, the, the sole of the sandal and your feet. And, you know, you can get abrasions on your toes. You can break your toes in those things. I've seen that happen. Not for sandals when it comes to water shoes. I get out of the boat and hike and carry on far too much. I really wanted another pair of like closed toe actual tennis shoes that had that neoprene closure around kind of like sock that's attached to the shoe. And that's what these micro G Kilchis are. And they are working out phenomenally. I have not had any rocks get in through that neoprene closure into my shoe on the trips that I've taken since I bought them. And so far, like I said, you know, I've only had them cut, you know, maybe a month and a half now. I can't tell you how they're going to hold up over time. I hope that it's great, but I can tell you their functionality is freaking amazing. They are great. If you guys are in the market for water shoes or if you've thought about like, hey, you know, I don't really like the sandals, but I don't know what else to do. Maybe just Google it up. Look up the Micro G Under Armour Micro G Kilchi water shoes. Give them a look and maybe give them some consideration because they are working out for me. Absolutely love them. Anyway, let's get on with tonight's show. What are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about floating War Eagle Creek in the Arkansas Ozarks in Northwest Arkansas. It is known locally at least to some, as the Little Buffalo, because some of the views along it are very reminiscent of the Buffalo River. And I will give you this, they are not nearly as dramatic. You're not going to see Big Bluff bluff rising 500 feet above you, but you're going to see some pretty dang cool bluffs that are pretty dang tall rising above you on a very, very clear water creek. And it's it's a really, really cool float. Y'all, I didn't know. Here's the thing. I did not know people were floating War Eagle Creek. You know, like I spent my whole friggin' adult life floating rivers in Arkansas from the Mulberry all the way up to the Elk, which isn't in Arkansas, but it's just over the border. Go all the way through Arkansas and then boom, Missouri. Look, there's the Elk River. Um, the Buffalo, the Cossatot, we've done them all. Okay. There's, there's rivers that aren't even rivers that people outfit or float that I've gone and floated on. I kind of thought I'd floated most of the things that people had out there and were doing. And then I came across, I believe it was a Facebook post mentioning something about floating War Eagle Creek just a few weeks ago. And I was like, yo, War Eagle is a beautiful little creek. I've seen that. For any of you outside of Arkansas, any of you, my foreign listeners, anyone that's from from across the pond, any of you guys are checking out that don't know anything about Northwest Arkansas or, you know, the U.S. at large. But War Eagle is a really, really cool place. There is a mill there that was established in 1832, a grist mill. Um, And it is a super, super cool place. It is open to this day. You can go in there and buy organic ground corn mill and all kinds of different mills. They make preserves, jams. They have all this stuff. It's all organic. It's all hand done and homemade. It's, It's ground right there in the mill. You can watch it doing its job. You can see the giant water wheel and the low head dam. Right next to this huge bridge that was built in 1907. What y'all think about this when that mill mill was established? Like, oh, well, because I just passed statistics. I can do maths and I know that was 190 years ago. That's really old. Now, it's not the original mill. 
it's burned down twice and been destroyed by flood once. And the story of it being burned down one of those times is really pretty interesting. It was burned by Confederate soldiers in order to keep it from falling into the hands of Union soldiers. That's a really cool piece of history. It's a really cool place, y'all. They've got a gift shop. They got all those foods that they make, all those grains, all those jams, preservatives. They've got a restaurant on the very top floor, which makes some really good food. I can tell you that from experience. And it's a great place to go down and take your kids and swim. You can fish a little bit. There's a lot of cool stuff going on around War Eagle. And I knew about War Eagle. I've been to War Eagle several times. I had no idea people were actually paddling the creek. And there are actually some outfitters putting people out on the creek. So I was like, I have got to go check that out. And even apparently, apparently, some of you are Kansans. You know, maybe this is news to you as well as it was me. Like, it's not super well known, apparently. Now, maybe you guys up there in northwest Arkansas, maybe you guys up around Eureka Springs, maybe to you it's like, oh, well, yeah, duh, everyone floats on War Eagle. Maybe. But society at large here in the state of Arkansas, not a lot of people know this. Okay, I had no idea. I started asking around to people who've been floating and fishing and hiking and camping here in the this great state longer than I have. And a lot of them were like, bro, they were doing they're doing floats on War Eagle. I'm going to have to go check that out. So apparently, for some reason, it's not super well known. They do it. People do know about it and go, but not nearly in the numbers that you will see on the Mulberry River on a weekend, on the Buffalo River on a weekend. It is kind of unknown. It's a little bit of a hidden gem right here in Arkansas. So I was psyched about this. I was like, I have to go float on War Eagle Creek. That will be really, really cool. Um, I called, I found an outfitter that is outfitting people. And I think I kind of worked with two of them. I'm a little bit unclear on what all actually happened <laughs> that day. I talked to one guy, I floated with another couple, and I'm pretty sure that I, I worked with two different groups of people. One of them was calling themselves War Eagle Outfitters, and that's who did all of my shuttling. And that was Lloyd, and he was cool as heck. He's the one that gave me all the information. And then we actually went to Ozark Adventure and Recreation. You heard me mention them at the ad slot at the top of the show. They were really cool people and they've been doing this for a few years. They've got a couple of locations in Northwest Arkansas, but this one is right there on War Eagle and they're doing like four and six mile floats. But this Lloyd cat, he was like, bro, you know, and he didn't say that because he's a little bit of an old country guy, but you know, it's how I talk. So that's how it came out. But he's like, listen, he's like, you got a couple of options. He's like, but once you get to Gar Hole, he's like, that's a pretty short float. You really you ought to consider going on down to War Eagle. It's only another six and a half miles. You have you a 10 half mile float end at War Eagle. He's like, I'll shuttle your car down to War Eagle. And he was real, really, really um, adamant that we should go all the way to War Eagle. And we got kind of a start, a late start that day. It was maybe 10, 30 or 11. But I was like, man, 10 miles is nothing. We should, I really want to do that. And what he was telling me, and this is why it really enticed me. And he was like, it's way, way more backcountry once you get past Garhole between Garhole and War Eagle it's like it gets back in there he's like it gets quiet it gets dense the foliage gets thick there are far less people down there and the fishing is incredible and you know I'm like you had me at the fishing is incredible because I'm terrible at fishing as it appears to turn out over the last few years and so if the fishing's great somewhere incredible even Maybe that'll give me a little bit better chance of, I don't know, actually catching something. I got to figure out these creeks again. I had them pegged for a while, and here as of late, I've not been doing so hot. But then again, 
to be fair here as of late, I've been videoing all of these adventures and, and have a lot of other stuff going on while I'm out there on the water. So I'm probably not spending as much time fishing as I used to. You know, there's probably some kind of a quantity quality type of situation going on there. I don't know. It's probably freaking statistics and I don't speak Satan's tongue. So anyway, he convinced me that I should make that adventure. And I thought that will be awesome because number one, it gives me something to really talk about on the podcast, get back in the stuff a little bit. Number two, it ends at War Eagle Mill, which happens to have a restaurant. If I get the War Eagle, pop out of the water, climb upstairs, freeze my sunburned butt off under the AC and have a big greasy freaking chicken fried steak or a hamburger or something like that. I was like, this is, you know, I was sold on this great idea. So we get outfitted out by Ozark Adventure and Recreation. As I mentioned, if you guys want to check them out, if you want to go check out War Eagle Creek, these are good guys to call. And it's actually OARoutdoor.com which is obviously the acronym for Ozark Adventure and Recreation. But it's also quite cleverly or O-A-R outdoor.com. So give them a get, check them out. Give them a shout. They're really cool people. They worked really, you know, they helped us out, helped get us on the river. And I enjoyed working with them. Super nice folks. So check them out if you get the chance, if you go up there to check this float out. But they got us on the water. And man, y'all, it was absolutely a lot slower pace than the Buffalo river. There were a few people at the very top of the, um, at the very top of the start of the float, you know, that first four miles, there were quite, there were a few people that we ran across up there. You know, there was quite a few cars in their parking lot. We worked our way down and, um, just kind of started out slow. I was just like, okay, I didn't get a feel for this. What exactly am I getting into? Because I know what the mulberry is all about. Know what the Buffalo is all about. Like, you know what all these rivers, but this is totally uncharted territory. I had trouble even finding a whole lot of information on Google from other people. Had a lot of trouble finding information um, on YouTube, even finding a lot of videos. There's a little bit of stuff here and there, but there's not a real good way to get a real, you know, clear picture of what kind of a float is this exactly. So like I was, you know, tentative at first. Well, let's see what we're getting into. I found it to be very much like most of the rivers in the Ozarks. And y'all, again, for any of you outside of the state, any of you outside of this country that are listening in, you really, really, really don't sleep on us, man. Don't sleep on Arkansas. Don't sleep on the Ozarks. Everything we have in Northwest Arkansas, in North Central Arkansas is absolutely beautiful. We have so much natural beauty. The rivers, the streams are absolutely amazing. And War Eagle is no different. When we put in, started out, it was actually a little bit murkier water. There had been quite a bit of rain in the previous few days, um, especially down here in the south where I'm at, around, you know, Interstate 40 and further south. But they picked up a little bit of it, and they had a little bit higher water. And at the very beginning of the float, the water was actually a little bit murkier than is to my taste. I was like, wow, that, you know, that rain really must have hit up here a little bit. But got started out in the water, and first thing I noticed is it's, it's, it's just it's the Ozarks. It's absolutely stunningly beautiful. No matter how you go about it, it's always beautiful. This was not as dramatic of um, elevation changes as, say, you know, the Buffalo or whatever. But it was a really, really nice float. That first four miles was was a lot of fun. Like, there was so much 
foliage. Okay, that's one of the things is it's so dense. The trees lining the river are super dense. You get a lot of situations where you're almost in kind of like a tree tunnel type of situation. Really, really pretty. Really, really beautiful flowing water. Once we got down a mile or two, it actually started to clear up quite a bit. I don't know if there were other springs coming in and the water was kind of starting to finally filter out. It's kind of odd to start a float on a river and within just a few miles, the water turned from kind of brownish to actual back to its clear you know, the way it normally looks clear where you can see through to the bottom. And that's what was going on with this, though. This is exactly what happened. But it was absolutely beautiful. It's a slow moving river. Okay, it wasn't a whole lot of flow. We weren't flying anywhere. I was not, you know, there's a lot of paddling involved. And and that's something for you guys to take into account, you know. When you're thinking thinking about a 10-mile float or a 4-mile float or a 6-mile float, whatever you're thinking about, and depending on the time that you're getting started or whatever, on War Eagle, you will do a lot of paddling. It is mostly self-propelled. Like, the river's not going to take you anywhere super, super fast, okay? It's got enough flow, but you really got to stay in the channels and the um, the main the main channel, so to speak, if you really, really want to, to take advantage of what natural flow there is in the river. It's slower moving than the buffalo. It's slower moving than the mulberry. Um, but that's also that also works out really super great if you're out there to catch a lot of sun, which I caught way more than my fair share, y'all. I turned into a lobster for a minute, and that's not like me. The, the the small percentage that I have in me of Native American usually comes out pretty hard in the summer. I carry a base tan most of the year, and when summer starts, I'll get one like kind of quasi decent burn, and then it turns to brown the very next day, and I spend the rest of the summer just getting darker and darker until you can barely tell the difference in my skin and the color of my hat that I'm wearing right now, which is black. I get really dark when summer comes around. I got the crap burned out of me that day. And I was even using sunblock. And I don't even understand that. Like, I'm told that, well, you're getting old, dude. You know, your skin starts losing a lot of its properties, too. And I'm like, yo, that was not very kind. You just hurt my little heart just a little bit. I'm not getting old. I'm just starting, man. <laughs> but anyway, it may very well be true that I am just getting old and my skin is not as resilient as it once was. But... I got the crap burned out of me. And if you're out there to get you a good sunburn and, and maybe partake of a beverage or two or whatever, do so responsibly, just as we discussed in the Buffalo River episode. But this is a great river for that. It's a low, slow-flowing river, and it's got a lot of natural beauty, and it's got some great fishing. I caught a couple of fish before I got to Garhole, um, and that was a good sign, just kind of right out of the box. Some nice little smallmouths. Well, they were actually baby smallmouths, the first two. I got into nicer smallmouths later. But first two, I was like, this is a great sign. Catching a couple of fish, totally, totally um, very promising. Very promising. So just enjoying the flow, starting to kind of fill out the river, get a feel for the flow and the way that things are going to go. And as I progressed down, we got closer and closer to the gar hole and the water started to get quite a bit slower. You know, you get in rivers, these, these rivers have a pull and drop type of situation. You know, like they'll, there'll be a bottleneck somewhere down river. It might be a mile away. You know, I've seen, I've seen stretches like that. It might be a mile away, but when you finally get up on it, 
suddenly like you're at kind of like a natural say dam has been created by the gravel bars and the sandbars and the rock outcroppings and everything just kind of comes together where you've got a choke point and you that's the pool so you do a whole lot of paddling in the pools you're going to burn a lot of calories back to kind of circle back around what i was saying earlier prepare for you're going to work harder for this trip and it's going to take you longer to complete mileage than you might expect if you're gauging off of say a watermark in your mind of how fast you move on the buffalo or how fast you move on the mulberry it's going to move slower than that and you're going to have to put in more work so be prepared to maybe drink a little more water and just just kind of be prepared for that it's going to be a longer float bring a lot of sunblock um but it started to slow up quite a bit make it on down and get to the gar hole and the gar hole is Okay, a bridge that basically it's a low water bridge that crosses the river. One side appeared to be almost completely silted in. And that was great because that's where we exited War Eagle to cross over that bridge to get out back into the river on the other side of the bridge. But that's where Gar Hole is. Things to take into account if you're doing this float. Okay, when, when I got to Gar Hole, the place where the one side of the bridge that was actually free flowing, that was not obstructed by silt was on the right side. And that is as of like June. Okay. Just June, 2022, the right side is the side that is unobstructed as you're hearing this. And if you go and approach it, do not approach it. Do not approach it from the right side. Because when we got there, the water was about two inches below the ed- the actual air gap. There's about a two-inch air gap on that side of the bridge. You don't want to go to that side of the bridge. If the water was two inches higher, you might not even notice. You might I might not have been in, even been able to tell which side had the free-flowing water. And if you go up on the side that had that air gap. If you go to the side that's unobstructed in a kayak and not realize that that's where the water is actually pushing through is on that side, the right side of the bridge, you're going to go under that bridge and it is not going to be pretty. You are not going to enjoy it even a little bit. I saw that we got lucky. There was enough air gap to say, okay, we don't want to get anywhere near that over there. So I went to the left side, completely silted in, stood on the silt, got the kayaks out, carted them around the bridge to get back down and get back into War Eagle Creek and was able to see from the other side, yeah, there was a ton of water flow coming out of the unobstructed side. It was quite turbid. It was quite turbulent and it was quite powerful. And it's like, you see that and you're like, man, if my kayak had just even touched nose there, it would have been kind of ugly. It could have been kind of ugly. So just keep that in mind. Watch going to the right side of Garhole. Go to the left side. As of June 2022. Um, Garhol's neat little place. That's a great place, y'all. Y'all go down to Garhol without even floating on the creek. Okay. There was a, there's a road, obviously, because there's a low water bridge. There's a road that cuts through there, a county road. And there was great, you know, a lot of people there swimming. A lot of kids were swimming, having a good time. There's a few people who had their fishing poles, but people just had their lot, man. They pulled up, drove up, parked out there in a little, in a little, um, sand, like a gravel bar. And they had their, their, camping chairs set out they had their coolers out there was somebody grilling i'm pretty sure like they're having a good time garhold be a good place to spend a a saturday or a sunday afternoon y'all so just keep that in mind too you don't even have to float the creek if you just want to go enjoy the creek in a couple places garhold was a pretty neat place but from garhold on down the character of the river changed quite a bit and things got a little bit more interesting a lot more beautiful to me personally because i like that really, really backcountry stuff and, um, a little bit sketchier in a couple of places, but I see here that we have run onto our 30 minutes for this half of the show. 
So we're going to go to commercial. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the rest of the trip on down and also a really, really great place to eat up there around Hinesville at the end of the show. What is up, all of you wayward souls? I want to tell you guys about our newest sponsor, Bendetti Optics, a brand based right here in the good old US of A, Portland, Oregon, to be exact. And I bought my first pair of Bendetti sunglasses about a year and a half ago and fell in love with them so much so that I got online and ordered a couple more pair. And when I did, there was a small shipping snafu, an order fulfillment snafu, and I got on the phone, gave them a call, and guess what? I get a call back from who? One of the big men themselves, right there in Portland from the top of the chain, have a great conversation, and we end up starting this great relationship we have. They more than made right, the little snafu that occurred, and I am now a huge proponent of them because I can tell you from personal experience, they are good people, and they are trying to compete with the big boys out there coming in at a price point of about $40, but using the exact same frame material, TR90, and the same polarization process as the big guys. As it turns out, something I think we are already probably knew in our hearts, when you buy big name sunglasses, you're buying a big name. Not necessarily any more quality than you can get somewhere else, like at Bendetti Optics. They have 29 different styles. They have multiple polarization options for whatever climate you happen to live in. And they back it up with like this lifetime guarantee that if your dog eats your sunglasses, it doesn't matter how you break them. Send it back in with a check to cover shipping and handling and you're golden. You got a new pair on the way. These guys are truly trying to do it right. And they have this philosophy that a really good pair of sunglasses should not cost you so much that you are afraid to wear them. And I think all of us outdoorsmen can relate to that. So if you guys, like me, are very practical and like to get more bang for your buck and wear some great looking sunglasses, check out BendettiOptics.com. That's B-E-N-D-E-T-T-I Optics.com. Or you can go over to Instagram slash Optics. And that I highly suggest whether you buy a pair or not, just to check out the cutest pupper you'll ever see modeling sunglasses. Once again, that's BendettiOptics.com. And make sure and let them know Wayward Stories sent you. And welcome back. Thank you guys for sticking around throughout the sponsor breaks. Really important to us. If you guys go, if you ever check out any of our sponsors, man, please support them. Let them know we sent you. That helps us keep the lights on here in Studio 119. It helps us to keep producing the show. And if you even remotely, even a little bit, enjoy listening to the show, you know, it's going to help us out a lot and help us keep making this thing for future generations to come, so to speak. Anyway, let's get back into the narrative of tonight's show. We're heading from Garhole down to War Eagle Mill now. This is where the six and a half mile part of the float begins. This is where it suddenly becomes a whole lot more backcountry. This is where it gets a little bit thick back in there. And that's where I really, really love it the most. The whole rest of the trip down. The next six and a half miles, y'all listen to this, take this into account, six and a half miles on a clear water river in the Arkansas Ozarks when there's enough water to float in June, two groups of people in six and a half miles on this creek, two, a grand total of four and four, eight people, eight people in total, but in only two groups. I promise you that weekend, the buffalo had more than two, as did the mulberry. Y'all, that is a testament in and of itself 
as to how little known this is, how little, how underutilized this little resource is for those of us that like to adventure and get out and paddle and explore and fish and hike and do all these things. This is underutilized in Arkansas, and y'all need to know that. Like, I even hesitate to tell you about it because I'm like, man, it might get popular if enough people hear about it. But listen, it is absolutely amazing float, guys. Again, it's a little bit slower paddle, but y'all, it gets real interesting. When you get on down, you hit the gar hole, and then you go past gar hole, it gets real interesting right out of the gate. Number one, the water seems to pick up speed for a pretty good portion of the next six and a half miles. It slows down quite a bit again when you drop down to about War Eagle elevation. You get into that last mile or so, it really does start to slow down again. But the pace of the water picks up. There's some more, ele- I mean, clearly, I don't know this, I didn't go look at a, at a topo map, but there is clearly some elevation change that happens a little bit more rapidly between Gar Hole and War Eagle because the water picks up speed or at least it's more of a choke point or something. It's a little more free flowing and it picks up a little bit of speed. There aren't any real rapids to speak of. We should talk about that. There's not any real rapids to speak of. There's some faster moving water that go, you know, over some shallower areas, some shoals that that are kind of make ripples and maybe a little bit of a standing wave here or there. There's one place it runs up under kind of a headache rock and an overhanging bluff that I wouldn't consider it a rapid, but it's definitely a hazard you have to watch out for because if you go up under that rock, under the bluff, it's one of those things where it's just kind of like a angled out. You know, the bluff angles out probably about eye level at the at the float level we were on that day anyway. And if you went in, you're going to hit your head. And what's likely going to happen because the water is coming out of a curve directly into that wall and then shooting down the length of the wall it's going to push you up into the wall and against the wall. And it's probably going to turn you over. Like I actually portaged it. I didn't even try it because it was too low of an overhang. I was like, well, even if I want to man up and be all testosterone and stuff, and be like, yeah, I floated that. Like, I don't really, I'm not going to be able to because I don't have enough clearance. How the heck could you do that? So I didn't do that, but there's like that hazard to take into account. But overall, it's a very, very tame creek. I keep wanting to call it a river because y'all, it reminds me a whole lot of the mulberry without the rapids. I mean, the the scenery, um, the size, everything about it reminds me a whole lot of the mulberry without the rapids. Um, but it's, it's a creek. I keep trying to call it the river, but it's a creek. But it's an absolutely very, very tame float down a creek. It is a tame paddle. So for any of you that that's more your style, that you might want to take your children on or, or take your parents on if they're more elderly and you just want to keep it from being too chaotic, too wild, too, I mean, even obscene for God's sakes. You know, there's, there's a lot of nudity that happens on the old Buffalo and the Mulberry these days on the right Saturday at the right time. It's not really necessarily kid friendly anymore. You know what I mean? This I think would be quite kid friendly because there was nobody there. Y'all eight total people on a six and a half mile stretch of beautiful, floatable, fishable Ozark mountain Creek slash river with only eight people on it on a Saturday in June when there's enough water to float is absolutely unthinkable. Okay. But I just experienced it. War Eagle Creek is a great secluded little bit and the right stretches, at least backcountry adventure in a lot of ways. And that's what the real story of this next, you know, the next stretch of the trip, the last leg of the strip is really, it was just a little bit more of an adventure. Don't know what I'm getting into. They're not out there. Okay. And the reason I say this, they're not out there. Okay. You go to the Mulberry, Right. You go to the mulberry. If a strainer happens, if a tree goes down, somebody's out there at a chainsaw in a canoe taking care of it because it's a busy river. It's a revenue creating river. 
people make a lot of money putting kayaks and canoes on that river, right? Somebody's out there with a chainsaw making sure that that obstruction's gone. A lot of time, it's like Franklin County um, Search and Rescue. I've seen um, pictures and posts from them online where they're taking care of strainers. They do a lot of service up there. I've told you guys before, Franklin County, just I have so much so much a ridiculous amount of respect for them as a volunteer search and rescue team. They're some of the most professional volunteer search and rescue members um, and team that I've ever come across. I love training with those guys. I love O'Dave. I love those guys. I just, I appreciate the heck out of them and they do a lot of great work and I'm pretty positive. I've seen posts where they're up there clearing strainers, but it's a busy river. Strainers create a very serious hazard. It gets taken care of on the Mulberry. It gets taken care of on the Buffalo, for goodness sake. Somebody's taking care of it, but nobody was taking care of War Eagle. It's a little bit more wilderness. That's why I say it got a little bit sketchy because there are some places where there were some strainers that there was one. There was one. I'll jump way ahead in the narrative. This was closer to the end of the actual flow, but I'm going to go ahead and go there because we're on topic. There was one that actually kind of scared me because it's like it was a jungle, y'all. The, the river banks were an absolute jungle. Like, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to cart around this because I was considering portaging, right? Or or for you, um, my Canadian listeners, whom I love so much, portaging. Either way, I was considering portaging around it. And I was like, but where? Like, that is some of the thickest underbrush I have ever, ever seen. Crap. What am I going to do? Because this tree had come down on a bend and it was crossing the full length of the river as far as I could tell from my location. If I went too much closer, it's basically one of those things. There was a point of no return. You know, I mentioned back in the yak packing episode that I came across a point of no return once. You know, I've done it multiple times, but in that episode specifically, I talked about on the Kings River, I was up on this low water bridge that was an absolutely dangerous hazard before I even knew it was there. And I was already past the point of no return. There was no going back. You know, that's a terrifying moment. Well, this is one of those moments where I saw and could see the point of no return. If I go in there, I'm not paddling back out of that. But I was kind of down to no options. I'm like, I either got to paddle in there and hope that that tiny boat-sized opening at the very end of the top of the tree where it's up against the bank, where I can see that the water is channeling around it, I have to hope that there's nothing on the other side of it, like another tree down. And I could see another tree down behind it, crossing the river the other way. But I was like, yo, I don't know if that tree actually crosses all the way across or not. And if it does, I'm going to be hung between two trees and a current and nowhere to go. Like that is, there is a point of no return in that situation. You know what I mean? So I got a little bit freaked out inside. I was like, I'm about to have to drag my body through some of the roughest underbrush I've ever seen. And y'all, there were a lot of snakes. And I was like, I ain't trying to get out there with some of these snakes because there are absolutely water moccasins there. Not saying everyone that I saw was one, but they absolutely were there. And I did see some. We'll talk about them a little bit more in a minute. Um, And I was like, I really don't want to get out there. Even in my cool guy, little Kilchi Under Armour Micro G water shoes. It's better than sandals for this mess. But this just, it didn't look good. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do here. So there are some places, y'all. And it did turn out. I finally just had to go. Honestly, that's what I did. I was like, look, I'm I'm just going to go. I've got to go see. And when I went around that tree, sure enough, there was another tree that covered most of the river. But fortunately, 
there was another gap on the end of that tree that was barely wide enough for maybe two kayaks wide to cross around it. And we got through it okay, but it was an absolute obstacle and a really good kind of lesson here, like an object lesson. Is sometimes you'll come across some stuff out there that you really got to think about, you know, learn to recognize obstacles when you come upon them and think a little bit further ahead. Think a few steps ahead of, oh, look, you know, we I could have easily stopped with, oh, look, that tree ends right there. I can just go around the edge of it. No big deal. Without thinking the next step of, but wait, it looks like there's something behind that tree. What if it goes, what if the current goes right into another strainer? What if there's not a way around? You know, I can't see that from here. You have to think those steps out and then make your decisions. Ultimately, I still just balled off and went and did it, but it was because I was kind of up against the wall. I didn't really have any other choice, but think a few steps ahead whenever you come across something like that. It's a really good lesson to take to heart, but yeah, it gets a little bit more wilderness, y'all. It gets a, quite a bit more wilderness and backcountry in there, which is exciting. That's a lot of fun. So I'm back in here surrounded by what appears to be jungle. It really is that thick, y'all. And I'm just cruising along. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the fishing is freaking phenomenal. I'm talking, I would catch a fish three to four casts in a row in some of the shoots. I've talked to you guys before, and I know most of you guys that listen to this show aren't necessarily fishermen, so I try not to talk about it a lot. But it's just one of the best practices, man, on these Ozark Mountain rivers. And I found it to be true in Tennessee and other places as well. Run a rapid, spin out at the bottom, and then fish the rapid. The fish are always waiting at the bottom. It's like a twofer. Every time you get to a rapid, you get to enjoy the rapid itself, which in this case, it was granted shoots. They weren't really rapids there. They were shoots, just fast moving water in a confined space. But they always dump out into a hole where a hydraulic is created. And in those hydraulics is where the fish love to hang out and let that food get caught in the hydraulic action. And it's like shooting fish in a barrel. That's a terrible pun when you're applying it to fish, eating other fish, but it works. That's what they do. And you go back and you fish and I fish them with like a twin twirl tail, two inch grub or three inch grub. I think it's two inch grub and just like an eighth ounce jig on ultralight rig. You want to talk about a fight, y'all. A two pound smallmouth feels like a 10 pound bass. Like they're so much fun to fight. So you just, you run the rapid, you fish the rapid, you work your way on down and you're back there in true wilderness. You're not seeing other people. We only saw two groups of people. You're not there. There aren't other people. There isn't music on other people's kayaks and canoes going by or their little float tubes. No one was there. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful experience. Y'all, there was some really cool stuff that happened on that stretch. Number one, go over to my TikTok. I told you guys I'm TikToking now. I'm TikTokity. You youngsters come check out my TikTok. It, I've got a video on there of this cow that it just, at first I thought, is that cow like stuck in the riverbank? No, she was just chilling because it was hot as hell. This old heifer had just dropped down the bank and like laid down in the edge of the river and only her top half and her head was out of the water and she was just chill. Like I videoed her. It's on TikTok. Like I said, go check it out at Wayward Stories. And she's just over there chilling, man. She's cooling. And I'm videoing her and she's just chomping away on something. I don't know if she was eating roots of the tree she was laying by or whatever, but she was having a good time. And not long after that, suddenly, suddenly a bald eagle alights from a tree 
in a branch just above us and takes off down river. And let me tell you something that was super, super cool. It happened so fast. I had no chance of getting my camera back out of its water case that I just put it back up from seeing the cow. I had no chance of getting the camera out to, to film this bald eagle, but it took off. It went straight away. All I could see was his white little butt, his white little tail feathers headed downstream directly away. He was flying maybe 10 feet off of the water. If that just following the course of the river, which was a very straight stretch for quite a ways in this particular area. It was really, really cool. I was really hoping to come across him again further down. That happens a lot of times with the egrets and the, and the sand cranes and the things like that. They'll just fly further down river and then you'll see him again in 10 minutes. We did not see him again, but it was really, really cool moment to watch that guy take off and see how big he is. If y'all don't know how big a bald eagle is, bald eagles are pretty freaking huge when you get up close to one. I mean, a mature one. Like I've seen them and their wingspans can be like nearly as wide as a county road. I watched one one time when I was still working for Big Purple down the middle of nowhere. Like I'm driving down, I believe it was Highway 82 sometime, somewhere around Bluffton or Plainview. It's probably down by Plainview. And all of a sudden, this bald eagle comes out of the ditch carrying a live raccoon. The raccoon was fighting. Like it was fighting back. And this like bird's taking off and he's flying just much like this one did down the river. He's flying down the road in front of me and his wingspan, when it was at its like apex, I guess you'd call that an apex, when it was stretched to its furthest, it was like nearly as wide as this little county road I was on. I was like, what is that? Like eight foot? I don't think that's possible. I don't know, but bald eagles are huge, y'all. But this guy just took off gliding, just flapping away, heading down river. And it was really, really neat to watch. These are the things, y'all, you're going to see if you come here and visit us in our Ozarks. It was a really, really cool experience. But anyway, the fishing got absolutely great, which is probably what he was doing now that I think about it. Yeah, he's up there hanging out. I've seen eagles take snakes out of fields. They're quite predatory. Maybe you've heard of that. Maybe you're familiar. But I was fishing. The fishing got great. I caught a really, really healthy smallmouth, y'all very healthy smallmouth, probably two and a half pounds. That's a big smallmouth. I was psyched about that, but I would catch three or four smallmouth in the same hole. It is untouched back there. It has not been heavily fished. It is not heavily used. Y'all, there's no rope swings hanging in the trees, you know, anywhere that's really, really popular. You're going to find rope swings hanging in the trees. You're going to find a whole lot of trash up on the bank in different places. That stuff wasn't there. It really felt you like you were floating a wilderness. We're coming across these strainers. There were multiple strainers. There was one place that was a little bit sketchy. Big dirt bank was washed out where the river turned back or the creek turned back. And it goes over one tree, around one tree, through another tree. There's like it's almost like a gauntlet. It's almost like a slalom run. There's a tree across here, a tree down here, a tree up here down, a tree over here down. And it's in a bend in the river and a choke point. So the water was moving pretty fast. And that was the closest thing I would say we saw that was a rapid, but it wasn't even still really a rapid. It was just quick running water and kind of a technical run. It was kind of a technical line. You had to go in this way and then you had to dig out of getting pushed up into that strainer to go over this way and then dig out to go down and around and go around another strainer. It was a technical run, sort of. It was a fun little stretch and also a really, really good little stretch for fish. Anytime you've got bends in the river and a lot of swirling water and it's deep enough, gosh, the fishing can be absolutely incredible. But anyway, 
moving on down river, we come across a place and one of the only two, one of the two groups that we came across were some younger folks who were partying pretty hard. They weren't being disrespectful at all. They were not playing loud music. They were just partying, you know, they were, they were partaking of maybe a little bit of the old Mary Jane, perhaps some alcoholic beverages. I do believe they were probably old enough to legally at least partake in one of those, but they were cool. They weren't disrespectful or anything, but they were partying pretty hard. And they're like, Hey, what's up, bro? You know, said hi, whatever. And we go on past them. But then, then we get past them, maybe 70, 80 yards. And they put out back into the river. They'd been sitting on one of the few gravel bars that I had seen the whole way down. And there are a lot fewer places to stop. There are some, it's not like they're non-existent, but there are fewer places to stop. And they push off. And I hear the, one of the girls like, Oh my God, there's that snake. And I look back and sure enough, there's this big old snake. And he is floating and he is coming at them aggressively. Okay. Now we talked about back in the Mulberry River episode that there is some amount of, oh, what's the word? Disinformation when it comes to how aggressive water moccasins are, which in that the articles I read and the people I talked to were like, no, they're not really any more aggressive than any other snake. So they said, but like, that's also not really been my experience in life. Like I've always found water moccasins when they are truly water moccasins and not just regular water snakes that they can be quite territorial, okay? I consider that aggressive. I don't know. Maybe, you know, the the snake apologist out there, maybe that's that's just their um maybe that's their fake news. They're not aggressive. I don't know, but they're aggressive. They can be. They can be. I've experienced that myself. This snake was aggressive, and I am pretty positive it was a water moccasin even from distance because I could see his entire body floating on top of the water. That is not a hundred percent of the time accurate, but a really good indicator that it is a cottonmouth. Cottonmouth and rattlesnakes both actually can kind of inflate themselves and essentially float on top of the water as they swim across. It's like it's like Jesus snake walking on water, right? Um, and this guy's whole body was on top of the water. Water snakes tend to have their whole body underwater and their head will just be the only thing above water. Non-venomous, just regular like banded water snakes tend to have their body beneath the surface their head above the surface. Cotton mouths, um, particularly can inflate themselves and set on top of the surface. And I'm talking 60, 70 yards away. I could see the entire length of this snake's body. I was like, that's like freaking Nessie down there, man. That's not a snake. That's the Loch Ness monster. But this snake came at them. And I mean, I'm like, I'm thinking, and I, you, let's go back. There's a clue here. That girl, because they had just shoved off. Okay, so they're somewhere in the vicinity of where they had already been, because she said, there's that snake again. And this snake was coming after him. And I am now kind of inclined to believe that perhaps snakes have memories. Okay, because I feel like they were probably not very nice to this snake in their first engagement, in their first encounter. And this snake was like, I'm coming straight at you, bro. And he felt like he had a window of opportunity to go and do that. Well, I'm sitting here watching this transpire and that snake is making a beeline for him. And that girl's freaking out. She's like screaming and stuff. And this snake is on a beeline. And one of the dudes in the front picks his paddle up straight over his head and then just like slaps the water, trying to slap the snake on the head, which only made it unhappier. Okay. Can you imagine? I mean, wow. What are the odds that that was going to be the results of that um, attempt? But I don't know what else they do though, really. If he really was coming straight after him, you know, what do you do? Like paddle real fast? Like I've done that before. 
I have done that and you can do that, but snakes are probably still going to be faster than you paddling. If they're really intent, this guy, I think this guy had a long memory. I think this little snake had a long memory and a grudge. I think he had a chip on his non-shoulder. Really ticked off snake back there that I'm fairly confident is probably a water moccasin and a fairly large one. Well, how about we just get out of the area? Let's just leave them to their fate. They have made their own bed, so to speak. Let us let them lie in it and deal with it on their own. You know, it's, it's sometimes it's a good policy to just mind your own business. And whenever snakes are involved, I feel like that's always going to be my best policy. Just mind my own business. You guys stay over there and do you. And I'm going to go down here and do me. But anyway, it was very much, again, very wilderness back there. There were a lot more snakes. Saw a bald eagle, saw cows take, you know, skinny dipping. Well, I guess she was more like chunky Duncan, but anyway, around it, don't tell her I said that, but that guy was, you know, having a good, it, it was, it was, it was cool guys. It was very, very, very cool. It's very back country back there. It's very wilderness. The river speeds up a little bit and then it starts to slow back down. You get back down towards the bottom of the river and you're or at the bottom. You're getting down to a low point again and it's starting to pull again because of the low head dam at war eagle and that was probably a mile and a half upstream at the point it really started to slow down and y'all this is a don't sleep on war eagle creek that's the one thing i want for y'all to take away from tonight's episode is don't sleep on war eagle i don't have to tell any of you arkansans i don't have to tell any of you arkies any of you northwest arkansas i don't have to tell any of y'all about how cool war eagle mill is because we've all enjoyed war eagle mill right but War Eagle Creek, did you know? And if you did not, go check it out because it's right there on par with the, the bluffs. I forgot. How did I even skip the bluffs? There is a stretch. And this is where I suspect it got the moniker of the little buffalo. There is a stretch of bluffs. It's not a very long one, but there is a stretch of bluffs that you come upon and you come around a left-hand turn, kind of a left-hand bend. You come out of a straight stretch and as it starts to bend back to the left. There's like a small bluff line that starts to grow in front of you. And there are a lot of bluffs on that last six, actually the whole 10 miles, there were a lot of bluffs. But this is down on the bottom half, below Garhole. You come around this bend, and this pretty good-sized set of bluffs is starting to rise out. But then as you make the bend, and you're looking to the west, because I was looking into the setting sun, or the sun getting lower in the horizon, that bluff really stands up over the water, probably a couple hundred feet, would be my guess. 100 feet, 150 feet. I'm not sure. I don't know how to gauge that kind of distance. But it was really, really tall. It was quite impressive. And I think that's probably where it got its little, you know, namesake of the little buffalo, the people who call it that. And you can float. You basically float up under that bluff. It overhangs out over the creek a little bit. Like there's water, you know, sprinkling out of the springs up there. And you can just kind of roll under it. And you got this cool water falling on your sunburned body. The fishing up under that bluff. I caught a couple of fish up under that bluff. Super, super cool, y'all. Super beautiful. Like, I got to get those pictures put together get them up on Instagram for you guys to check out because I got a couple of cool pictures. And I even made an experiential video out of it, but having trouble getting it all put together. I tried to use that new GoPro knockoff thing, and I got a lot of footage of it that was absolutely, pre absolutely pretty crappy. I actually returned it, so just keep that in mind. It went back to Amazon that today, earlier today, as a matter of fact, is when I finally gave up on it. Um, but I went in and I looked at the footage and it's not even usable. We can't use the audio or anything because there is no audio when it's in its waterproof case. And I was like, why does it even need a waterproof case? It's a freaking waterproof action camera. And they're like, well, it's not waterproof without the case. And I'm like, then don't call it waterproof. Like it's ridiculous. But anyway, around it, 
no audio. Audio doesn't work. So you just have like nothing, dead silence when you're going through these little fast shoots or coming up on these bluffs. And it's just not, it's just not the option for me. Going back to another update from the gear to go episode, the Acaso Go was not the right camera, even though it by all accounts is as good as a GoPro. There's a lot of really good stuff out there, like a lot of really good reviews and a lot of really good, and I mean a lot, like some pretty um, respectable places comparing them and saying there's not a lot of difference. The the Acaso holds its own against the GoPro. And I'm like, if this is what GoPros do, how the hell do GoPros ever get like popular? This is ridiculous. So anyway, around it, it didn't work out. Still on the hunt trying to fix that little situation. But I'm going to try to get this experiential video put together for y'all too. I got to find some clever way to get it to cut together and make it kind of quasi-interesting maybe. I don't know. It was kind of a weird day as far as that went. Um, but it was an amazing day as far as the scenery, the river, the beauty, the fishes, the, the solitude. Y'all, it's back there. It's a little adventure. Right there. I never even knew about it. A hidden gem, overlooked gem of Northwest Arkansas. Not the Kings. It's not the Mulberry. It's not the Buffalo. It's not the White. It's War Eagle Creek, y'all. And it was really, really, really cool. Here's the thing, too. You go up there and float you some War Eagle Creek. There's also overnight stretch, by the way, just so y'all know. You can do a even more wilderness, according to they. Even more wilderness stretch that's like something like 20 miles or something. Maybe it was just 12, but either way you can cut it up into two days and there's a really good place to camp along it. Supposedly I'm going to do that again in the future. And it was a stretch I didn't see any of. Okay. This stretch is actually above who outfitted us. And so we floated from them down. This thing starts like 12 miles above them and floats to them. They shuttle you up, you float down, you stay the night halfway. That's going to happen. That's going to happen for the old wayward son in my future. Don't know when, but it's totally going down. And they had a lot of really, they're like, that's maybe even more beautiful than the section you're going to float. There's a lot more bluffs in which at the time I was like, in my brain, I was like, well, why ain't I floating that one? But regardless, the War Eagle Creek is, is really, really cool. And a hey, like PSA, when you do get to the bottom, like we're getting close to the end of the episode here. We'll start wrapping up. So let me finish out the story of the float. And then I want to tell you all about dinner because you need to know about it. Um, when you get down to the bottom, if you float this stretch, when you get to War Eagle um, Mill, listen, it is a low head dam. I have extolled upon the dangers of low head dams in previous episodes, and I will continue to do it in future episodes anytime it is applicable. Okay. They are death machines. Low head dams are death machines for people in tubes and kayaks, anyone, any kind of boat, any, and no boat at all, just a human being in a lake or any kind of a backwater above a dam, you are in dangerous territory. When you approach the mill, get to your kayaks or your canoes or whatever you're in as far left as you possibly can, as soon as you can, as soon as you see the bridge in the distance, get to the left side of the river the opposite side of the mill and at first opportunity take out which is some little bluffs and they're not easy to get out of the water is fairly deep there the bluffs are you know obviously not even it's not like you're just pulling up to a nice old dock and stepping out onto solid ground they are doable you can totally get out there, but you're going to have to put a little effort into it. You're going to have to be careful that you don't kick your kayak out from under you back into the water as you're trying to crawl out onto this bluff. Overall way to put it, it's sketchy. 
getting out of the water above the dam is sketchy. It was not easy, especially for someone like me whose old knees are starting to really feel the 41 years that have been put on them so harshly by me. It was not easy. It was sketchy. It was sketchy. Then you have to carry the kayaks probably 100 yards to 150 yards, depending on where you get out, and portage or portage, A, around the Lowhead Dam, put back into War Eagle, and then go across to the parking lot, which is where they shuttled our vehicle to, you, which was cool. It was cool, y'all. Being in a kayak underneath that not, um, bridge that's 113, 14 years old with the Lowhead Dam pouring into the water just on the other side of it and the water wheel over there cranking away, it was cool as heck. But that last little bit was a little bit miserable. Okay, taking out on those bluffs was sketchy. Carrying the kayaks 150 yards down these uneven bluffs to portage around. It's it's not necessarily, it's sketchy. I don't want to say it's super dangerous, but it's definitely not a real safe thing to do. We went very slow because one false step, and it's not like you fall in and get sucked over the dam, okay? It's not like that kind, but it's like one false step, you break your leg and fall into the water, and then I'm having to drag you out or drag myself out. Like, it, it's not super safe, okay? It's sketchy. Sketchy is the right word. Um, so be mindful. Get left. Get river left hard as soon as you see the bridge come into to view and get ready to jump out as soon as you have some clear bluff to jump off onto if you do it that way. Next thing I learned when I got to the bottom because I was planning to have dinner at War Eagle Mill. Y'all remember that? We bring it circle back around from the very beginning of the episode. I wanted to have dinner at War Eagle Mill. It's like, that'd be a great way to wrap up a freaking flow trip up here. This is cool as shit, you know? No, they closed at five. We got off the river about 630. Um, why War Eagle Mill? I love you guys. You guys are some of the coolest people. I love War Eagle Mill. But what are you doing closing at five o'clock on a Saturday? That place was surrounded by people swimming in the creek, swimming in the river, down there by the dam. While I was there just trying to get changed out of my wet clothes into dry clothes in the front of the old Xterra and get everything drug up and put where it belongs, I probably saw 45 freaking cars come across the bridge, pull into the mill right up to the front door, get out, stare at the sign, shake their head, turn around and drive off. That's money in y'all's pocket. What are you doing not serving dinner on a Saturday night? Any way around it. My only gripe, I love y'all up there at War Eagle Mill, but what in the heck are you doing closing at five? You're flushing money down the toilet. I saw so many people trying to get up in there. And it broke my heart, broke my little heart, because I didn't get to eat War Eagle Mill. But you know what I did do? I did go down to Hinesville, because that was one of the first thoughts anyway, before I realized, wait, we might not go down to War Eagle. Hinesville Cafe. Just down there, it's like 19-minute drive back towards Fort Smith, back towards Homeland, right? not no skin off of my back um and drove down to Hinesville Cafe y'all man if you have not heard of the Hinesville Cafe get your tails down there and have dinner they were super nice they were super quick service was not slow okay on the reviews on Google to be fair there were quite a few reviews about super slow service okay but but remember how I've talked about how you have to look at Google reviews look at most recent whatever the older reviews like from a year or two ago where like service was slow. Nobody had anything bad to say about the food at all. It was just that service was slow. Well, those were older reviews. And I was like, I'm, I don't care if it takes two hours. I'm eating. There ain't nowhere else to go that's super close and I'm starving. So we're eating here and sit down and it was super quick, just like waiting at any restaurant anywhere. And y'all, they made some hella food. 
I mean, I judge, I judge little greasy spoon restaurants in the middle of nowhere by two criteria, chicken fried steaks or their hamburgers and fries. And for whatever reason, I decided I was feeling the burger and fries that night. But my compatriot was feeling a hamburger steak, not a chicken fried steak, but a hamburger steak. And the, the report on the hamburger steak was it's absolutely incredible. Very, very, very good. And, and this person would tell me straight up. If it was not very good, I assure you. And my hamburger was absolutely perfect, man. Like, it was really, really good burger. The fries were awesome, too. Fries were really, really good. It was a great place to eat. They had several awards on the wall, Best of Northwest Arkansas. So, clearly, clearly, they're doing something right. So, you guys, you guys, get up there to War Eagle, man, and go have some dinner at the Hinesville Cafe, War Eagle Mill, people. Open up your cafe after 5 o'clock on Saturdays. I assure you, you will do a lot of business. And to any of you out there that are listening, consider taking this trip. And again, for any of you that are out of country or out of area that are listening to me, get your butt to our Ozarks and experience some of these awesome things that I'm telling you guys about every few weeks. Gosh, y'all, it's not just War Eagle Creek. I mean, you might just be enthralled with the idea of the mill. Oh, the history, the 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 organic ground flour being milled right there in front of me. But but there's also other stuff like War Eagle Cavern just up the way. Like it's an awesome cave. It's one of the only cave. It's the only cave in Arkansas with a all natural entrance that has not been modified in some way to get into the cave. Hobbs State Park. Hobbs State Park is where I actually did my overnight um, search and rescue, my SARTEC two training. You got to do an overnight search. That's where we did it. Was Hobbs State Park, and that was when I was training with Bentonville. Y'all, Bentonville. There's another one. I told y'all I like Franklin County SAR so much. Benton County SAR, Benton County SAR. I appreciate the heck out of them too. I love those guys. Margo, I love those guys. Always been good to us. Awesome to work with and give some really, really great training. I love training with them. That's where I got my SAR Tech too, was right there in Hobbs State Park. And Hobbs State Park's got all kinds of hiking and stuff. You're right by Beaver Lake, y'all. Beaver Lake is a scuba diver's dream come true. It's clear as can bell. Monty Nee is really cool. It's an old little resort town that's usually under the waters of Beaver Lake. But once every year, once every couple of years, if the water levels get low enough, you can go walk around in a partially submerged ruins of an old town. Y'all, that area right there around Hinesville, Huntsville, Springdale, like it's west out from Springdale or east out from Springdale. Oh, that whole area. Eureka's right up the road. Eureka Springs, y'all. Eureka Springs. If you don't know about Eureka Springs, you're living under a rock. Eureka Springs is one of the coolest places on this planet. Y'all, Northwest Arkansas. Northwest Arkansas. It, it, it's a banger, y'all, as the kids say. It's a banger. Anyway, I think we have reached the end of our episode tonight. We got a full hour out of it, even though I was concerned. You know, it was a small trip. There wasn't a whole lot there, but we got a whole hour out of it. I think we got a good episode out tonight. And I'm glad that you guys stuck around for it all the way to the end. If you were here listening to me, I appreciate you so very, very much. And I would love for you guys, if you would, to go rate, review, and subscribe. Share us. Y'all, word of mouth. Tell people about us. Go out there. Somebody, somebody, one of y'all, one of y'all, if y'all really want to be my best friend forever, ever, go in there and, and, and grab the link to last week's episode about the Buffalo River and take it over to our Buffalo River page and post it. I can't do that because they'll like kick me out for like self-promotion or whatever. Y'all really love me? Go get that link and go post it at that page and be like, yo, this podcast about the Buffalo River is awesome. You should check it out. Help a brother out is all I'm saying. Y'all got to share my stuff. Um, you don't have to. I just respectfully request that you do if you enjoy listening to me. 
I said before, I ain't charge y'all nothing. So the least you can do is, is tell someone you like me. That would help us more than anything in the whole world. But anyway, I'm not trying to extort you. You don't have to do anything. You know me. Everything I say, take it with a grain of salt. Anyway, once again, appreciate that you guys were here. If you need to get in touch with me, I would love for you to www.waywardstories.com contact form or at mywaywardstory at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter. You can find it all from the webpage, the YouTube, everything. Go check out all of our review videos. I'll have a Kilchi video about these these water shoes coming up here sometime soon. I know I'm going to get one of those out. We keep a lot of cool stuff going on. At least I think it's cool. And if you enjoy any of this, y'all just go over to the website and check out everything we've got to offer and get in touch with me. And we're going to wrap it up. I got to get out of here for tonight. I'm getting a little bit tired, you know. It's time. I got to get back to work tomorrow. So you guys enjoy yourselves. Enjoy the rest of your week. I hope to see you guys again here in two weeks. And until then, you guys go out there, find some adventure to get yourself into and be good to each other. <laughs>